And we're back. That was a much better snap than clap. I really appreciated that. Thanks, man. I agree. That band Snapcase, you ever get into them? I've Yeah, I've listened to them before. I haven't thought about them in like 10 years. What made that come to mind? Because he snapped. <clears throat> it kind of reminds me of Blindside, Snapcase, Blindside. I feel like for me, they went hand in hand. For how we discovered certain bands, I'd agree. Like Apex Theory, Lost Profits. That's we shouldn't talk about Lost Profits. That's I mean, a slippery I, slope. I I I, yeah, I, I totally that. agree with that. Uh, now I would probably say Lost Profits as I lay dying. Yeah, but lead singer, you know, drama. We should just stay out of this. I agree completely. With that. I Let's agree talk with about that. croissants. Wait, what, what was the uh, the band you guys toured with though? They were cool. Which, I'm sorry, which? The other members of Azalea Dying with the new song. Oh, Woven War. Woven War. Yeah, they're great. Cool band. That was a good great tour. Great guys. Fantastic gentlemen. Cool tour. Great people. What does that people. have to do with anything? All of, we just talked about Azalea Dying, then all of the members of Azalea Dying minus the singer, and plus. Mm. Well, you mentioned Lost Prophets, so we can say that I would venture to guess that everyone aside from Ian is a pretty cool guy. So let's I mean, we don't nod know them, to them as well. Yeah, for sure. And, and good band. Yeah. What I found interesting, so the reason why you would lump them in with Apex Theory is because they both were pushed to rock radio at the same time, and their first music video was the same location, like the same rooftop shot, probably right. same director, and it was my first time seeing a <coughs> major label push bands simultaneously with the whole shoot of a video, then a radio push, and even touring together. And it was one of the first times I started getting... Uh, insight into music business. Oh, I think I go back to Ozfest '99 or 2000. Four, four. I I, I believe. Oh, I, I think I remember. I think Lost Profits, Apex Theory. It is like 2002 or three. Okay, so I went and all those bands. Right, played. Glassjaw, Andrew WK. I think was headlining. I mean, that to me that would be interesting to even see that now. Um, but then I also go back to, I think there was like MTV was still doing the $2 shows, the $2 bill shows. And I think it was Lost Profits, Apex Theory, and it came to 930 Club. I remember that. That was probably 02. I think you're right. I cannot believe we're talking about this right now. I also want to bring up Korashi. Is it? Yes. Yeah, Korashi. We you saw him in Hammerjacks. Yeah. I remember that, Ben. That's great. I was cool. just going to send a, a nice positive nod to Sammy J. Watson, who's the drummer of Apex Theory, who is Fucking sick. You even played some Apex Theory on the drums for us recently. I was jamming some... Um, With po- his drums. Possibly? Stick. Maybe a possibly? Was it? Yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe it was a possibly. A possibly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was it. I remember looking a couple of years ago and seeing that the lead, that the lead guitar player, there's only, it was a four-piece band, the guitar player, only guitar player in the band, took over on lead vocals. And that was tough stuff to do vocally. That was not a very standard. It was more like a Mike Patton well, then style they, vocal. Then they like, started, wow. yeah. Then they started that side project, Mount Helium. I don't think I ever heard that. It was cool. I mean, it was really cool. Similar, it was, similar. Yeah, it was okay. similar vibe. But yeah, I mean, Sammy is just a such a fucking sick drummer. He's a great teacher as well. Good dude. What's up, Sammy? If you're listening, I doubt you are, but I hope you are. Are do you have a decent relationship or any kind of relationship with, I believe, Jordan? Um, Ward. Jordan Mancino. Is that the drummer? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, he's a drummer. great dude. Man, that takes me back. If if we did bring up fitness, and I really think back on the fitness journey when I started, not that I really knew what I was doing, but what I what I started to formulate ideas of what felt good in the fitness world. 
was me doing the elliptical, which essentially it's it kind of moves in a sense where you're rocking back and forth while pushing, and that to me reminded me of being on stage and like head banging. Um, and at the time, it was it was that that first Asley Dying record, the Bled. Um, I think undermined it. There was like a whole slew of bands that I, every time I die that I listened to concurrently, mm-hmm. and, that, and that will always those bands that era will always take me back to being 16 and starting the fitness journey. <clears throat> the music was great for it. That's cool. You you spoke about Woven War, um, and just as a, a side note, which is kind of cool, Phil Sagrasso, who's the guitar player mm-hmm. of Woven War, mm-hmm. recently started a tour and like general band artist management company with Periphery's tour manager, Matt Rosenblum, who is uh, affectionately known as Rosie, based on his last name. Heard you say it before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and God bless those two guys, man. Yeah. Whew. Patient, calm, good motherfuckers to deal with us. Is that the guitar player with the fro? With no. You're talking about Phil? Yeah, which guitar player? No, that? Phil's got black hair, like a beard. Okay, okay. Good-looking dude. Okay, got it. For people listening who don't know what a tour manager does, you can explain that? A tour manager babysits the band. I think it's a good way to put it. In every aspect. Need to go somewhere? How are we getting there? Tour manager figures that out. Um, Need to be reporting to a specific schedule item at a certain time? Tour manager's wrangling up everybody, getting them there. Um, We want after-show food? Tell Rosie he's going to order food. It does everything like, and you know I think I personally drive him crazy because I'm such a I'm I'm used to taking care of myself, so when I'm put in a situation where I respectfully want to give the responsibility to someone else, it's very hard for me to do that because I just I am self sufficient. So what ends up happening is instead of me going doing things, which I still end up doing half time anyway, I'm just like on mat. Rosenblum all the time like hey Rosie like what's up with this where can I do this what's the deal with this because these are things I would handle myself and right. I'm trying to like respect his role because we're we, you know we're, we hired him to do that but it's hard for me and because of that I do think I drive him nuts so Rosie <laughs> I know I drive you nuts I'm really sorry if I do but it's just because you know I'm neurotic like you are and it's good right he, he sounds like um like a guy you would have gone to high school with it sounds like when we talk about some people from around our way, obviously there's reasons why his last name plays into sure. Um, nice little Jewish boy, right? Exactly, nice little yeah. Jewish boy. So, talking about tour, you just got home from tour. Um, I think that's something we should get into. How was the tour? This tour was fantastic. It was a lot of fun. Tell us about the bands, how the flow went each day, <coughs> each night, and let's be clear about what tour because the yeah. day we're recording this isn't the day we're going to release it as a podcast, but it's on the Facebook Live right now. True. And there's like a few people watching, seven people right now. Um, It was the U.S. leg of Periphery's Sonic Unrest Tour, which is what we dubbed the tour. And this is the third edition of the Sonic Unrest Tour? Uh, Second version of it? Second version in the U.S., yeah. Right, okay, okay. And to be clear, when we're recording this right now, you're going to leave now in three, four days for the European leg of this. Correct. But this podcast will actually be released a couple weeks into that tour. Yeah, I'll be on tour when this comes out. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yep. So this never really came to mind until you said Sonic Unrest, it's the third installment of it or the third tour branded as such. Yeah. The European 
leg, yes, will okay. be the, the third overall installment of the Sonic Unrest tour. Okay, because what I think is kind of interesting for people listening and just for this project, so Justin is a legit fan of Periphery. And I like Periphery. I've seen you guys now three times and enjoyed it every time, but I'm not someone who's going to follow the ins and outs of your band. So I think we're able to give interesting perspectives uh, in how we relate to you and your band in that way. And what I've noticed but never really like thought enough to ask about is you have Sonic Unrest as a branded tour, and your records are kind of like one, two, three. Mm-hmm. So it seems you guys have been very consistent branding yourselves um, in the sense that let's create a, a branded name and then build legacy on top of that instead of everything is a separate start from the beginning project. Was that intentional as a band? Uh, in some ways, it's intentional. I mean, you know, we really had to find a good name for the tour, but we didn't want to have every single tour be so different. You know, you want to create sort of a... You want to build the potential in for something bigger than just one tour. Mm-hmm. Put it that way. Mm-hmm. That, that's the best way to describe it. And, you know, that's something that we've talked about as a band. We've talked about it with our management of, okay, if we create a brand for something like a tour... What are the other things we could do with it? And, you know, uh, we don't need to get into all that stuff now, but there's a lot of stuff you could potentially do. So it gives us the runway to do it if we want to. Um, and then same thing with the records. It's, you know, it's, it was very simple to put out P1, P2, right? Then but we deviated. Have, yeah, then we deviated in between, though. Right, we deviated with different um, EP releases and then Juggernaut. So it gives us a, a foundation that we can really, you know, build into, but it also gives us the freedom to do what we want. And that's the other thing. It's like, it's like, uh, I guess, creativity with boundaries is what I would compare it to. Because if you give yourself some sort of rules, you can be extremely creative. But if you just kind of have no rules or no sort of uh, system to things or foundation to things, then you can kind of just get blurry. And it's similar to what we've kind of created boundary-wise with this podcast in that if it's just the three of us, that's episode one, two, three, so on. And that's always going to come out on Mondays. But we've already put a satellite episode out where you've interviewed someone else. So that kind of gives us a boundary of what this is as branded episodes in numerical order. But we have the freedom and leeway to experiment with other formats. Yeah, creative boundaries, I think, is a really good way to put it. Yeah, and, and, and why wouldn't sense. you? Right, it may, yeah, yeah. Your personal interests are going to change over time. The group interests may change. The direction of the music may change. So, you know, although we have the Sonic Unrest tour, maybe that's really akin to kind of what we've been doing, which is, you know, bringing out bands that are that sort of create, for lack of better word, a variety show for the night. Right. You know, in a, in in a respect, um, but it's a heavier tour. What if we want to go out acoustic? You know, like we would come up with a different name, or we may even completely leave the whole idea of the Sonic Unrest thing and. You know, next time it's a whole other tour. I mean, believe me, for the tours that we're talking about in the future, some pretty hilarious names have been thrown around already. So I don't know. We'll see what we do with it. But it's it's it was established. It was really good. The tour was great. Um, the shows were awesome. The fans were super exciting every night to, to play in front of. Like, they were energetic. They were singing along. They were getting way into it. The VIP meet and greet, you know, kind of uh, events that we did were awesome. We got to meet a ton of people. It was just, I don't know, great tour. When five years from now, when you think back to spring 2017 U.S. tour, what's the one thing that's going to stick with you? Hmm. 
That's a good question. Um, honestly, I don't think it's a. It's my honest answer is not a good thing. Fair enough. <clears throat> um, I can elaborate. I just found out about this yesterday. Uh, so I teach lessons on the tour. Uh, almost every day I teach drum lessons. I do drum classes. And last, a week from today, or a week prior to today, last Thursday in Charlotte, um, I taught a class. There was like five or six students there, one of whom uh, was this dude named Davis Kripe. He was a 16-year-old kid. Was awesome. Was engaged in the class, paid attention the whole time, asked tons of questions, um, came to the meet and greet as well. He checked his socials. It's like the last stuff he was posting. Yeah, he came to the meet and greet with his band, and I met him and his band, and you know, they made the rounds, and he was super respectful. Like, he wasn't <clears throat> he wasn't intense by any means. You know what I mean? He was like, he was just very proper, very appropriate. Anyway, um, I got news yesterday from one of his bandmates that he had a seizure in class, in, like in school, in high school, and he collapsed and then was taken to the hospital or to the emergency room, and he passed away. And blew my mind and it's still kind of like blowing my mind and you guys saw I was reading you know looking for articles about it right it's kind of hard to talk about because funny enough I mean he was one of the people that I truly remembered from the whole tour like in terms of my students I, I remember all my students but like he really stuck out because he was genuinely a good dude and he seemed really stoked about everything and um I don't know it's just it's a bummer and it, and it reminds me that like holy fuck, someone can be here and then anything can happen. Like, he wasn't doing dumb shit, as far as I know. Um, he was just in class, being a 16-year-old kid. And I'm not trying to scare anybody by saying that, but I kind of am trying to wake everybody up because it's definitely been on my mind since yesterday, which is like, someone can be so alive and excited and good, and genuine, and then the next thing you know, something that is completely out of their control can happen and take that away. And um, that's, that's why you have to do exactly what you want to do every single day, because it can happen like that. Um, who the fuck would have expected that? Right. He certainly didn't, you know? And I don't, I don't know. I don't want to, like, I don't want to get upset about it, but... Um, that's something that I'll absolutely remember because it was kind of a memorable moment before this, just meeting him and working with him. And now it's especially memorable because it was so shocking. And it'll always remind me that when I think back on this tour, I really did make the most of it. And I feel good about that. And I would feel proud about that if something like that happened to me, God forbid, or any of you guys, hopefully you feel the same way that like, we feel good about what we've been doing. And this tour, I did exactly what I wanted to do every day. And I felt really good about that. And I feel good about that. But anyway, so I just wanted to also just send um, my sincere condolences to Davis's family and to his friends. I can't imagine what that's like, but, um, you know, it's very real. So it's good to feel it. It's good to go through it. And in time, whatever pain anybody's feeling will go away. But you'll always remember what happened, you remember the good stuff, and thankfully, I think with this dude, there really aren't that many bad memories from what I can tell, so that's awesome. That is cool. Yeah. You know? I think it, it's, um, I was there with you last night when you got the news, and we were training, we were just talking about different things of making sure that you are doing everything possible you can do to make sure that you're doing 
anything that you're you're into that you're still exploring, you know, it's just not promised that you'll be here even in in the next minute, the next breath. Tomorrow's not promised. You know, all of those it, they seem so cliche. It's because it's so it's just so foreign. And for me, it was harder to connect with that as I was having a conversation with you. Um, I don't really, I can't really think of many people I was very, very, very close with who passed away really before their time had even started. Um, but the, you know, the more we look into it or the, the more we talk about it, the more it is a, a really good reminder just to make sure that whatever path you're on, make sure that's the path you want to be on. If there are other things you want to do in this life, don't wait till tomorrow, next month, you know, there's always some excuse, right? It's just, no, stop kidding yourself. Get out there and make sure you're doing everything. And if there are people you love, tell them you love them. If there's a dude who plays drums in a band who's super badass and you're like, man, that guy is great. I'd like to do, if he offers something, like how you offer your stuff. Like if you're into that, go check that out. On the European tour, I know you're, you're doing the same kind of stuff. And like, Matt is, I'm, I know all about making that connection. We love connecting with people uh, in the same way as being extroverted uh, individuals, you know, make those connections and get out there and do everything you want to do because it doesn't mean you'll be here tomorrow. Yeah, for me, it's the greatest motivator right? because it's inevitable. You know, none of us get out alive, literally. Mm-hmm. And for me, especially in times where I feel a lot of fear about something, I will think about that it, for different reasons. Uh, one, it's all relative, so how bad is what I'm afraid of really going to be? Uh, but two, like to your point, Justin, that why waste time if it's something that you want? Yeah, we're not getting it back. We're not getting it back. So and, finite, yeah. And from wisdom of older people, they'll say that the older you get, the faster time seems to go. You're like, oh, shit, it's New Year's again. That's another year. Right. And so I think we, the three of us, are kind of in this sweet spot as we're not kids anymore. We can actually, like, do shit. And we have experience and relative wisdom because we've lived a certain amount of years. We're not 16 right now. Um, and we're not 23. Um, but we still have, it, it's this kind of this push and pull of we really have all the time in the world ahead of us in the sense that we can be patient and do good work now that will pay off later. But then at the same time, although that's true, it's also true to, to the, the thing that brought this up is that we could be gone tomorrow. So that brings in this, this uh, sense of urgency, but also gratitude. And I think all that's really important. This is hard shit to talk about and deal with, and I think a lot of people get uncomfortable and would rather avoid right. the truth. I don't want to, yeah, I, <clears throat> I agree with that. And I really didn't even mean to stumble on this topic but we were sort of talking about this the other day too. We watched that Neil deGrasse Tyson video. I haven't seen it yet. You haven't seen it? Did you you, you share? Yeah, it I, to I mean, me. I, I yeah, I shared it on uh, one of my socials. It's you know just something where he's talking to Larry King. You you heard part of it, I believe, and you made the comment for Larry King needs to drop the ego, which is which was very profound. Larry King was having this issue as he was doing the interview, of, of like a yeah, but I'm not ready to deal with as you were just saying, to, to deal with the idea of not existing. And, and he, he said he, said he wanted, he, if he could, he would live forever right, he'd to be, keep he'd doing be, what yeah, he's doing. Yeah, be immortal, right? So uh, it, I remember that yeah. without the full context. 
So I agree with what I said, but at the same time, to my earlier point, that this stuff can be really, really terrifying to deal with. Uh, no judgment on his part, and I have complete respect uh, for where he is in that process of, right. you know, of coming to the realization of one's mortality. Well, and I see it both ways. In certain aspects of it, I feel like him. Like, I mean, I can't imagine that. And there's so much I want to do, and I feel like I could, if you know, if I did have all this time, I could go forever. I could do tons of shit, and I'm interested, and I want to be busy. Like my, that mentality is there. However, on the other side, I. I agree with what Neil is saying too. It's like, well, if you don't have that end date or that deadline, then you have all the time in the world and you'll never get anything fucking done. And you can't really put yourself in that, in, in those shoes because it's impossible. You just can't, you don't, you don't really know if that's the it's truth, un- but it's, yeah, it's, it's possible. But what I, what I also think is really important is, is finding something about the subject matter, however terrifying, that can be comforting like something, whether it's acknowledging that there's someone or something that you loved who died before you, right? Like I think about my dog, Charlie, who died, you know, a year and a half in sh- or whatever ago. And I think about that and it's like, well, fuck, man, he went through it. And I have to believe that everything was, he was good. So wherever he is, is good. And I feel the same way about that, that, that kid Davis. But I also think to myself, in a more, in some ways, I guess, practical way, I think, well, where the fuck was I before 1983? I wasn't here. Right, right. I was I was born, you know, on, in 1983, and I don't remember anything. I have no idea. I wasn't existing, so therefore I was dead, or I didn't exist, right? So have I... In, I, don't in, even in, th- I don't even think it's dead, because there was no existence of you. But that's this what... This is death, like a, such but, a higher, you know, no, a heightened... But hold on, hold on. But, yeah, keep but, but that's what death is. It's right. a state of non-existence. Right. So if that was the case prior to my life now, then it's in some ways comforting because I was there before. Whether I know it or not, whether I was conscious of it or not, I was there before. And if I did it before, I can do it again, right? And that's, sure. that's just how... I rationalize it personally. And I think know? that's a great way. And that's, that's why there are things, there, there are tools in this life you can use to rationalize most things when you want to rationalize. That's why it's, it's a science thing, you know, of, of, well, this is one of those intangibles you can't explain. So that's why it's super scary. So if you can find anything to latch onto to explain it to you and you'll get down with believing that, then, more, you know, whatever it takes. The function of religion. Well, yeah, exactly. And I didn't really want to go there because I know we don't really probably want to get too much into a, a religious conversation. But, 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 but that, that is the tool, you know, that if you if you are struggling with things you don't understand, you can explore different religions and how they perceive these inexplicable phenomenons that we may deal with in life. And, and I was even listening to a radio show yesterday that went through a whole slew of listeners who called in of people who were uh, pronounced dead and then came back to life, whether they were resuscitated back to life or, or they saw this supposed light tunnel, something or other, and they came back. And some of the stories were very morbid. I feel like you would have appreciated some of them. It was very, like, a, like a, I want to say, like an M. Night Shyamalan, which is not the guy I'm going for. But it was, it was very morbid, you know, in like a Stephen King or, or some, some dark writer sense. And it was, it was very interesting. But I think the, the, the big takeaway that I get from this stuff between... You know, knowing that 
you have all the time, but you don't have any time, and, and that whole ideology between doing what you want to do and not waiting, not having regrets later in life, is balance. Just make sure that you are balancing uh, a mixture of the things you love with the things you have to do. Right. Quickly, my uncle uh, has basically been brought back to life, I think, twice wow. from wow. heart wow. attacks. Uh, Diabetes-related, right? Mm. Um, I think it's heart attacks. Is he working on that? Uh, yeah. I mean, it, now he's had, you know, he has like the pump that's built in and he's like his, it's manageable now with, with the way technology you is know, in this, medicine. Was he born with it or he developed uh, it? Either way, point is his story, I, I, which I don't want to share. It's not really my, my place to mm-hmm. do so, but you know, his story is one of, is very interesting. And, and knowing that he went through that, still puts me in the same place. I guess is the point I wanted to make. Like I don't have any preconceived notions or um false I- ideals about what happens when you die. I just kind of know that I was there before. And he's still here. Yeah, he's he's, still he's here. Us. Yeah, he's and he's doing great. He's awesome. awesome. Matt, I want to expand on your earlier point about uh finding comfort in these scary but real truths of life. It's that whatever you're feeling and experiencing, every other human being alive and has ever existed is in the same boat. Mm -hmm. And in the field of psychology, uh, there's a term just kind of like normalcy and kind of normalizing things like this. So if someone, and I can generalize this more to any issue that someone's struggling with. So someone may have crippling social anxiety and feel like they're the only one in that experience. And what can be so helpful is talking with someone and realizing, oh, they have a similar issue as well. And then you don't feel as alone and trapped in yourself and these thoughts and feelings. Um, So just, I hope that's a comforting thought. And even just motivation, if you're feeling any sort of fear or stress or anxiety, to share it with someone that you feel comfortable with. And in that, it doesn't diminish the feeling, but at least your feeling can be validated and you may be able to have a more healthy uh, way to look at it in in the sense of like, it's not all about you. You're not the only one. Um, A question for you. So I've had conversations with people, even recent conversations with people who are feeling maybe like they're the only one, they're going through a lot of stuff they're still not comfortable talking about it. I'm very glad that they, and they, you know, certain people were, uh, they were okay with it enough to come to me. They were comfortable enough to come to me, and I'm sure we've all dealt with this before, but they're not comfortable in seeking out professional help because there's still a stigma. And that's something I know that you talk about often um, in saying that the way gyms and physical fitness and yoga studios are now the norm that, we, that you're projecting 10, 15, 20 years from now that seeking help and mental health and all of these ideas will be very normal. For people who are still struggling with it, what is a good thing to say to people like that? I think a lot of it, there's this masculinity in our culture that to feel our feelings, which is really just our truth, or to share it or to reveal it is somehow weak, like we're a fucking pussy. And... That's so not the truth. I mean, to be vulnerable, that's strength, and that's truth. And 
I would like to see a shift in the cultural narrative, especially around masculinity, in that to take care of oneself, mind, body, spirit, feelings, all that, like what could be more noble or important or strong about that? To like own one's perceived weaknesses. It's a gift that we have people who have specialized in that that are there for us to share things with, right? What if we didn't have those people? Like, yeah, you could maybe have friends or you could have family, but they don't necessarily know. They don't know how to rationalize it in a way, right? I don't know. I just think that, as you said, the shift needs to happen into where it's like we very much so all look to maybe even have one conversation even if, even if you don't think you need it, with a therapist or with someone because you never know what you might discover. I've been to therapy in my life. You have. You have. Yep. You're a therapist. I don't know. I, I, but I, th- I think it's really good that we have, we've had or we, for, for each of us, can be the example. And, and I, think, I think that's a, another great thing, you know, a, a great takeaway from the podcast is that we're three guys trying to, break down that wall, break down that barrier, break down, break down the stigma, you know, like the masculinity, like, like be super vulnerable. I mean, I, I last week I was driving to school. I think I texted you about it. I texted you about it and just in expressing gratitude of on the last podcast. And you talked about the reason why we do things is for the chance to maybe help one person. And if you can potentially have the ability to help and and change the life maybe of one person, then it's all worth it. And as I was driving to school, I really didn't, I was a little late. I really didn't feel like going. I took my time in the morning. I was doing my thing. And then I'm, I'm, I'm heading to the lab and, and I, I got tears in my eyes and it happened twice just over the idea of thinking about the conversation we had had the day before of, Hey, I might get the chance to help people. And I think it's still crazy that it's a stigma for, for guys to be vulnerable or to cry or to be open about their feelings and, and let it out and, and feel anything, whether it's, whether it's on whatever side of the spectrum. Um, I, I hope we can be somewhat of, a, of an example to like to, for people, for guys and girls as well. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, it's not just guys. No, there, for, for everyone, for there's, sure. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of people who I've been lucky enough to come in contact with who uh, girls and guys have this same issue. They, it's, it's strange for them to have to go talk to a psychologist. Um, there's actually somebody who, I, she's, I hope she listens to this, but she knows who she is, who um, had to go talk to a psychologist for the first time and right. was like ordered to basically. Mm. And it was such a, I think I, from what I gather, it was somewhat of a fear beforehand, but now it's kind of like, oh, that wasn't so bad. And maybe it's actually a positive and it, it 100% should be. And it, in the words, again, I'll, I'll mention my friend Johnny Boucher from Hope for the Day. You know, it's okay to not be okay. And it's even more okay to go talk to someone or ask for help. I mean, it's just, it blows my mind that in this day and age, people are still scared to do that. When you, as you said, have people like us and a lot more other people absolutely just screaming this to the masses saying like, come talk to us. Talk to anyone. Just do it. Like, don't be afraid. Yeah, we're here. Yeah. Culture provides context. And if you think about it, for decades now, we've grown up in a culture 
where we've been mass marketed to with messages that you're not good enough, you're broken, you need to be fixed by these products to fix yourself, whether it's makeup um, or, the or, or even, or even just, yeah, just, I mean, just shitty food. Static, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, it's, this is a symptom of decades of culture. What's promising is that I think a lot because of the internet and we're kind of on the cusp of that generation where we have all this access to information. And I think there's a healthy mistrust um, of capitalism and brands and things of that nature in the sense that there is a spiritual revolution and just like an informational revolution where I think people our age and, and especially a younger generation are more interested in things like wellness, in things like experiences over products, in things like connections, and realizing that maybe our parents were sold shit. And it's no fault of their own. All you know is what you know, and what you know is what you've taught. And if the teachings that we get from our culture are to break us down so we end up being uh, obedient or just working and breaking our backs just to pay for shit that we don't really need. Like, I have a lot of empathy for that, but it's nice to see that that's changing in a way. And, and I think, I know I kind of deviated a bit from where we started, but I think it's all connected in the sense that, like, our feelings and, and the expression of it, like, that's where it all is. And the the way that we can relate to other people. Like, that's everything. That's life. I mean, that's love. You know, love for ourselves and love exchanged between other people. Um, and I think it's nice, and, and, and to even kind of tie it up to where we started this conversation, like, yes, we can do our best to be the example in our own ways. We're not here to prescribe anything. Um, we're just documenting our own personal experiences and hoping to, like, share what we feel works for us with the people that are paying attention to us. Um, but I don't know, to me, to go back to the idea of living our lives in a way that feels good because life isn't guaranteed to us, like to me, this feels like a worthy way to spend our time. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I liked, um, I kept getting from what you were saying, just, just a healthy skepticism of what's going on. And I think that's great because that means people are waking up and they're getting curious. You know, a lot of stuff that, that ends up saying here but can be used just kind of keep shifting those phrases around where it becomes relevant. And yeah, I think it's great. I, I also see in, in our circle, get curious is uh, reaching other people and I can use it in school with people to try to help the younger generation who is still kind of confused. What am I gonna do when I leave school? I'm in school. Um, like you were you were telling your friend earlier about going back to school. Only do it if you have this really clear vision of what you're going to do in school. You don't really need to go back to school just to get this so-called knowledge that you could be doing in the real world, getting practical usage of whatever you may be into. And so to get back to uh, something maybe related to the tour that kind of gets back with this stuff, um, uh, a good question I was, I was wondering for Matt is how do you maintain stability knowing that every day is different. There's going to always at least one variable of you're going to wake up in a different city. Mm -hmm. So in going through your personal checklist of things that make you feel good, as long as you get the bulk of those accomplished in a day, what, you know, tell me about you on tour every day, something different. I mean, that's really it. The biggest difference is 
where we are location. and the meals we eat. Like right. that's the biggest thing. And of course, I mean, you meet different people everywhere, but in terms of the setup of the day, the time slots of things, what I built for myself surrounding periphery schedule every day. Honestly, I tried my absolute best to keep it the same, you know, because that stability is really good for me to go from one thing to the next and really just be constantly productive throughout the day. I love it. Like I, I really enjoy that. I also like having my time off at home and we can talk about that in a second because I've been really trying to be nice to myself and give myself a break, you know, in certain little areas of every day while I'm home and I can. However, if I had it my way, I would have a schedule like I do on tour, which is just boom, 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 boom. You shared some really nice pieces yesterday of, can I, can I share your morning yesterday? It wasn't anything crazy. Sure. Yeah, you, Matt got up yesterday, and this is great because it breaks the rigidity that you, you were having before when Jordan and I would talk to you about um, I think Jordan said, even if you're just hanging out your, with your friends playing video games and, and telling stupid jokes, as long as you feel good afterwards, and that's productive. And there's a difference between just doing, 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 doing as being productive and just enjoying what you're doing as being productive. And you said you got up yesterday and you took a nice shower and you saw that, that your pup was still kind of like chilling in bed and you got back in bed till like 11 o'clock, which for a lot of people that would be super normal or they would still be sleeping unless they had to go to like their nine to five, let's say. But that's great. You're, you're allowing yourself, you're doing your work in a way that's serving you best. You got back in, you love, you're only home for a week and you love your dog. So it's like, hey, let me spend some more time. I can do my work at the same time. And you're giving love to everything. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. And that's different from on tour. You're very busy. You put on a feverish pace. Well, I'm asking myself every day on tour at home, what are the most important things in the context for my priorities for, for where I am, right? Right. On tour, my priority is productivity all day in every area and everything that I'm working on. And I love doing it all remotely. I just, like I love that. I love the fact that I can be on stage before sound check, sending emails for get good drums or you know, ex exchanging photos with you guys that we're trying to figure out how to use to promote this podcast while I'm, you know, in between sound check and drum lesson time. You know, I love, I just, I love all that. I I'm love laughing to myself together. thinking about us texting you while you at, at your show while you're playing. And there is a time that you do get to walk off stage and uh, uh, your guitar players, you know, take the lead and play a little interlude piece. Right, and then you texted us back, and that to us was hilarious. But the, the best thing, so this is the show that Justin and I went to in Silver Spring at the Fillmore, <clears throat> and I just took a video of Matt and texted it to him right away, figuring, like, you know, once he finishes the show and breaks down his drums and chit-chats with the fans who hang around, once he kind of gets the food <laughs> in him and gets on his tour bus Relaxed. and can relax <laughs> and then check Deep his brief. phone and see this video I sent him, the second the song ended, he's looking at the phone, and I get a response that says balls. <laughs> it was the most amazing thing. Dude, I could write balls really oh, quickly. Man. I mean, that was it. Well, to it's be true, fair. I, I said something to you as well that I knew, given the context, I was like, watch, Matt will respond to this. And lo and behold, 
it, luckily it was on the break. We had to like make sure that you weren't just sitting there between songs and saying what to like. I had this. I text. I had this great idea. Exactly. I'm saying, well, tell him we got some business ideas. Yeah, and he'll sending, probably just I'm stop the show. I'm sending the emojis <laughs> with like the dollar signs and the dude with the dollars in his eyes. Well, wait, wait, and wait. Like what? No, no, no. Hold on. You sent me a text. Okay, let's go back a second. <laughs> like, dude, I got the best idea. There's with money this, there, making options. Sh- there, there's an interlude between two of the songs. That's, that's like a minute before. plus. So sure. I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm good. I work out every day. I'm feeling good. My heart rate's good. Like, I'm ready to go. I can, hands. I can just bang them out, right? And I don't want to get cool. I don't want to cool down. So when I have a minute and a, ha- and a half, like, I'll send an email if I have to. Like, <laughs> I'll do whatever. You know, it's funny. I was talking to my buddy Finn about this today. He was he was talking um, about some people that he know or right. that he knows right. who uh, they'll be on business calls. They'll have back to back business calls, and then there's like a minute and a half between one business call to the other, and they'll say to themselves, "What can I do productively right now?" In a mm. minute and a half, and that's kind of what I'm thinking about when I'm on stage. So, obviously, when I get a text from you that right. says, "Oh <laughs> man, I have a great idea." My initial response would be like, fuck yeah, what? <laughs> I, I actually, I, I get down with exactly what you just said. That resonates really hard. And I think for a lot of us who are working non-conventional hours, Jordan does it, I do it, Matt does it, anyone else who's out there doing this Every stuff, minute counts. Yeah, every minute does count. So it happens a lot in my sessions when, when they're like, oh man, I need a break. Especially you'll take a break and you'll go right to your phone to check up or check in with whatever's going on. And I hop in and do a set. Granted, right. you're so much longer than me that I needed you to even come help me with this set yesterday to like unrack the bar. But regardless, I'm like, okay, if they're going to take a minute to take a break, I can get like 10 reps of something in there. And if you did that, let's say you had back to back to back to back and you had eight, 10 sessions a day, 10 minutes could be a full workout. Eight minutes can be a full workout. You can get a lot done, yeah. And get so much done. When I'm cooling minutes. down, I'm picking up my phone and I'm walking around and I'm responding right. to emails or like texts about things. It's just I comes back to the the point of that I like being really productive sure. and there's a time and a place what I've struggled with in the past is the downtime and being okay with downtime versus needing to fill downtime right? right and and I think what you've established by explaining the story of me laying in bed and working from my phone and cuddling with Tyson is that I'm I feel good about it I'm getting way better with accepting and enjoying that downtime, like yesterday was a day where I, I was in terms of the amount of movement, mm-hmm. one thing, the next, boom, boom, boom. It was pretty open. Like it was, it was pretty lax. I got a lot done, but there was so much time and I took that time. And in the past I would have been anxious about that, like giving myself shit and, and not being okay with like not filling every single second with something. I kind of just said, okay, well, it's relaxed. I got things covered. Things are moving. I have one day where I can do that. What am I going to do? And I just like hung out with my dog and I ate what I wanted to eat and I, you know, talked to friends. And it's just like, as you said, that can be productive too, or it can also be therapeutic because it's, you're just kind of giving your mind a break from constant focus and constant work. And that's okay. That's good. Yeah. The mind isn't everything. If we can, giving our minds a break is one of the best things we can do for ourselves. And that starts to get into more of like what a mindfulness practice is. But so many of us just live up here constantly and not even realizing that 
there's space that could be provided to us. Instead, we're all just in our heads and treating every thought as reality and truth when that's actually bullshit. Um, but that's, I understand that me presenting that is a radically different way for some people to perceive themselves and their life. Um, but balance, again, it's something we keep coming back to. So for you, you're thinking every minute can be used productively. Well, what's the definition of productivity? It, does it always mean to get the next dollar? Of course not. Part of that can be giving yourself a break to actually rest, reconnect with yourself, so then you can actually be more productive in the long run. Earlier, Justin was saying that it's sometimes great to just play video games with friends and not necessarily have to like work on a project. But if that's all you do, that's There's not healthy either. Balance. Balance. Yeah. Um, I wanted to reference, you had posted, and we talked about the, um, you know, in, in being more productive and finding that balance. Something that I've actually found works really well after watching the video on procrastination. And to reference that, you can go into the Facebook group and just scroll down pretty far. It's one of, one of the initial posts from, I think, the second episode. So wait, but why? Wait, but why? Exactly. And I had an exam a couple days ago, plus I had all this other stuff going on. And now given it was maybe the week before that, it was tax time, and I had all this stuff compound. And I was like, oh, man. And I was drained. I was, I was you know, super, super, super focused on, man, I want to give my brain a break because I've just been firing all day for the last couple of days to do this catch-up game because I procrastinated naturally. And that's something that I know I'm not the only person who deals with. And coming up for this exam, I gave myself, I tried to start, I think it was maybe like a week out, and that just didn't feel right. It didn't feel good. I didn't feel like I was really focused on it. We had that conversation today of, of if you start too far out on something, it might not really feel that good. You also then might procrastinate and use the whole day in being so lackadaisical to get that one thing done, that one assignment, because you're like, well, I have so much time. So I actually liked a little bit of the pressure, but going back to this exam I had earlier this week, I made a conscious decision. I gave myself about like a day and a half lead time. And what that was great for was allowing my mind to relax as I got closer to that test because I felt less anxious. And that was huge. Normally, I study the night before, I wake up, and I know I have a lot of people do this, I'm not the only one, that I would wake up in the morning, I get up super early, three hours early, I'm messing with my sleep schedule, and I'm just feeling more anxious, and the whole rest of the day is somewhat shot because I'm just playing catch-up energy-wise. And I'm doing so much more extra you know, cognitive processing, trying to cram all this stuff in. It's not serving anything. So I felt really good today in talking about that in the group of just saying, hey, this actually resonated with me. Has anyone else tried to even just give yourself one extra day? Or I have assignments due next Monday, and today is Thursday, and I said, hey, while Matt and I are sitting here, I have all these other things I can do in the hierarchy chain of what needs to get done, but I would like to get some of these assignments knocked out of the way so that I can free that up for the balance of relaxing when that comes up. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Yeah, you're paying attention to yourself. That's self-improvement. Absolutely. And it's cool that you were able to share it in our group. And if you're listening and haven't been a part of it, 
It's facebook.com slash groups. Yeah, slash chocolate croissants. Right. And it's cool to see people really interacting in depth. It's it's not just everyone liking stuff. I mean, people are sharing their experiences and also trying new things based on the conversation. And I think that's probably the most powerful use of what we're creating here. For sure. Well, so I wanted to reference one of the group members' questions, Marta, um, who was asking, okay, so for me, stability is great and being productive is great and on tour, I did all sorts of stuff every day, right? I was waking up, had my morning routine, had the breakfast, had the stretching, had the load in, uh, had the sound check, had the lessons, had the meet and greet, worked out, warmed up, figured out a way to do business calls in between, played a show, did it all again. That was awesome. Did you I have any it. great food, anything you can reference that you remember like, oh, man, got to talk about the hot dog? No. Okay. So to be honest, all- okay. unfortunately. But that being said. Did you have a best show? Um. Man, I had so many good... There was just so much fun... So many fun shows. Any shows where you went like, oh, man, I wasn't like even 70% there. The one show that was not fun was the show in Nashville. Not because of the audience. The audience was amazing. The place was great. All that stuff. I had a rocky, bouncy riser. My drums were on a riser that was just moving. My kit was moving the whole time. The drum fill, the speaker, and my left floor tom fell off the riser. Wow. Like, it was that... It was just brutal. That never happened before. So that's, that was that was a brutal show. Okay, but um, you also have a floor tom to your left of your snare. That's what I'm talking that's about. That's what. But you have one to the right, obviously, like two a standard right. drum kit. You have two to the right. Uh huh. So it's not about that. I'm just saying, but uh-huh. it was all okay. When your shit's moving around, that sucks. I'm just saying. I know. Yeah, you in, can't... I think it's remain indoors. You do hit snare left floor tom snare. Man, I change it up all the time. Okay, I'm just saying, but it's cool. You could always go, you know, over to the right. That's not the point, Justin. I know. You lost one of your paintbrushes. I lost one of my paintbrushes when you need a certain paintbrush to play. But it's not I even understand. that. It's really like you're trying to paint a really, really clean p- picture in an earthquake. Right. That's what right. it's like, you know, which is Good way to put fucking it. miserable. So, okay. And you, with your schedule changing each day, did you have uh, a best part of the day generally and maybe like a, a, a low point here and there? Uh there was really no low points. Yep, and I the best moving. part of your days were generally... It was different every day, but, like, I loved working out every day. That was great for my mind and my body. Mm-hmm. I loved teaching every day. That was great. Met some great students. Um, had some memorable experiences, obviously, as we talked about before. It was all awesome. The shows were great. Everything was good. It was a really, really good tour. I'm hoping that that same sentiment and vibe continues into Europe. That being said, going back to Marta's question... You know, so what happens when you lose stability, when you lose even the ability to be productive in ways that you want to? And she was asking based off of a injury that she has right now, her shoulders injured, which is really interesting because Jordan has experienced things similar to that. I've experienced shoulder injuries as well. But, okay, when I'm home, we've established that I still find ways to be productive, right? When I'm on tour, I find ways to be productive. If I were laid up, and I couldn't be productive in ways I wanted to, you know, this, and this is the question we were asked, uh, my quick answer would be I'd figure out other ways to be productive. So, like, if I couldn't walk for some reason for a time, you know, a certain time, I would figure out, okay, what's the fastest way once I can start moving to be able to walk and prepare for it by reading about it and doing things that I could. What's the, I would just look for every opportunity to 
keep my mind or my body, the other parts of my body, as productive as possible, right? But I don't know. I ha- I'm not in that situation right now. But I wanted to specifically ask you, Jordan, about the stuff you've been through and how you handled being knocked off the horse, you know, so to speak, and um, dealing with this big drastic change from productivity, focus, like moving a project forward to like changing that because of an injury. What happened? I want to learn how to ride a horse. Have you guys ever learned? Yeah. uh, Fifth grade, I started a new school and winter we had trimesters uh, so Jesus Christ, Justin. Okay, no, I'm just I, saying I, I regret, we had we had to ride horses. It was freaking <laughs> wild. I was freaking ten, and I haven't since. But I'd like to as well. Okay. Uh, anyway, rabbit hole. I, I, but no, I, that's I, ridiculous it's stuff. Good. Though. And you I good. imagine gym class horse riding. Yeah, that's riding. awesome. I have a great horse story related to drum lessons as well. But to stick with where we started, I dislocated my shoulder two two and a half years ago. What were you doing when you dislocated your shoulder? So. Justin, you were teaching these trampoline fitness classes that were fucking awesome. Thank and you. it was the end of the class. And what we would do sometimes is we would trampoline into the foam pit and race to the net and then turn around and come back. In this class, I was the odd man out. I was also the only guy. So I said, I'll just go at the end and race myself. <laughs> I lost. <laughs> I got to the net and on my way back as I'm swimming, trying to stay on top of the foam, which is really difficult my left shoulder just popped out. And there I am just slowly sinking into the foam. (laughs) So two of the dudes that worked there had to bring this kind of hard mat thing to put under me. And then with my good wing, I had to use all of my energy to lift my body. Like this shit hurts so bad. Justin's driving me to uh, to the hospital, the emergency room and every little bump, my shoulder's fucking dislocated. Like, the tendons and muscles and shit, like, it's all nerves. It's all not where it should be. It was brutal. And, of course, as I'm slowly sinking down into this foam pit, my first thought is, I'm dying. <laughs> no, but it's, it's, can I drum? Right. Can I work? My livelihood is dependent on being able to play drums and guitar right now. Um, so, luckily, it was my left arm and I'm right-handed, the first thing I did, and I should post the video in the, uh, in the Facebook group, I'll do that once we release this, the first thing I did was I came home, I went down to the drum kit, Justin sat on the other with me where I teach, and I played the best I could with my right arm. And I realized, okay, I can teach drums this week. I couldn't teach guitar while I had my arm in a sling. Clearly you need two functioning hands and arms. To play a guitar. So nice. Have you seen people play with their feet? Have you seen my level of guitar experience? Absolutely. Point taken. Just saying. Okay, so, uh, and then also I do these drum groups, the Beatwell groups. And for that, one of the things I learned, which could be helpful um, to Marta, is that I learned how to ask for help. So, yeah, I, it was hard to carry these big duffel bags of drums and percussion and then to have the responsibility to set up the circle and to pass it out. I asked for help. And I realized that I don't need to do everything, and that to ask for help, instead of me feeling like it's a burden to someone, people are actually happy to be helpful. So that's, that's, honestly, that's probably the biggest takeaway I learned from that, is to get out of my own way and to ask for help. Now, 10 plus years ago, a different story, which was a bit more extreme, which I think could be more helpful to someone who feels um, 
severely disabled based on whatever, a physical injury, um, a, a change in their own life, whatever they had to move, whatever it may be, something that interrupts the consistency or flow of their work or their passion or their life. Um, so Justin and I were in a band and we were performing at probably 50 shows that year, so it was really consistent. And I had chronic neck and shoulder pain to the point where I was performing, but even when I just played drums, in a neck brace. And long story short, I ended the band because I knew what was happening for the trajectory of that band was touring weeks at a time. And uh, for me in that moment, it was like I'd rather do nothing than all of it. And that was just where I was at that time in my life. And what helped me, because I really had to figure out, okay, what the fuck am I gonna do now with my life? I'm 20 and I put all this energy into this band and was having all the success I wanted, but my body was turning on itself. And it would have been really easy to just uh, think that I had to start all over. And where I'm going with this is that I was able to own all the things that I learned from being in that band that could translate to really any other business or endeavor or project. So in that band, I learned how to you know, create and market a brand. I learned how to be a manager of people and myself. I learned how to be a publicist and how to be a booking agent and all these other things that are entrepreneurial skills. And that gave me the confidence that no matter what I decided to do, I wasn't starting from zero. And I think that's really important for all of us and anyone listening to, to own is that all of your experiences that you have are opportunities to learn, skills. And that these skills can translate to all kinds of different disciplines or projects. Um, and, and I'm able to compare, compare myself to the 90 plus percent of people that we grew up playing in bands with who ended up doing something else because bands don't work out for the most part as far as a full-time career. And what I noticed in most of those people is that one, they didn't use the opportunity of being in a band um, to milk it for all it's worth, to actually have these experiences to gain skills beyond just being a musician in a band. Um, and two, when they went to something else, it was as if it was black or white and they put everything that had to do with themselves and the band kind of in the rear view mirror and started from scratch. And, and for me, like, what a waste of, of your experience and potential. So it's not everyone was like that, but I, I noticed that being a trend. And I think it's really making the most of the opportunities we have. Don't take uh, from what you're saying, and this is something I thought about a lot as well. When, when I would watch guys in bands, girls in bands that we grew up playing with, that it was like they hung up their instrument, a.k.a. they sold their instrument, meant that for me they already they were doing it for the wrong reasons. They wanted, they wanted the fame, and, and if they didn't get to that level they had created for themselves then it wasn't like, it, it wasn't real. It wasn't justified. It wasn't enough for them. And to me, it's just that you're not, you're not taking, you know, you're, you're taking these amazing experiences for granted. And really, it was something for me that it, it took years of playing in a band with my brother Jordan to start to get more aware and be more present when we played shows. Because I always remember there'd be some kind of drum roll 
let's say like a bridge that's going to lead back into a course. And as it's building, I remember shows when I was being extremely present that I could like my whole entire career of playing music would flash before my eyes. And I'm, I'm here now, but I'm super present in the moment and making sure that whatever I'm doing, I'm learning from. And that, that I think is something that you can, you can take away in when you're injured, let's say shoulder, you're, you have a shoulder issue. Okay. You have another shoulder, you have the whole other arm, you have both legs, you still have your brain and you can still take care of your health. So I listen to, I think back to Seth Rollins, who's a, a professional wrestler who has been riddled with injury when it always comes up for like the biggest moment of his career, boom, he gets injured. And I was just listening to one of the youngest uh, new MMA fighters, this dude, Aaron Pico, is about to fight in Bellator on, on uh, the pay-per-view for his, for his first uh, professional fight at Madison Square Garden. This is like the biggest of the big. And, so, and I think if I heard he had torn his MCL or his ACL right before he was about to make this big career shift from what he was doing before. And he said that he made all of these gains in other, you know, he, he made strength gains and mental gains, it sounded like, in all these other areas that he never really focused on. And so even though you may, you may be injured in some sense, you still have all of this other, all these other functioning portions of your body that you can focus on and just be okay with the fact that, okay, one part of me doesn't work, but I can do everything in my ability to start rehabbing that portion when you're ready for that and being as proactive as possible. But make sure that you keep yourself mentally strong. Make sure you try to do everything, uh, you know, make sure you do things each day that keep you sane and keep you happy and healthy. Because I think to me, that is almost like a placebo effect of, of what it will do to the part that is injured. Keep yourself healthy internally from a food standpoint, from a nutrition standpoint, because that should help heal what you're dealing with at a cellular level. And then focus on all the positives. Don't even worry about the fact that you're injured. Who cares? There are people that are missing limbs and, and are, are, you know, and really don't, don't have the ability to do certain things with that piece that, they, that you're now rehabbing. And so focus on all the positives and don't even, don't even dwell on what you're going through, even though I know it's hard to, to say, you know, don't think about it. I agree, don't dwell, but I also think it's equally as important to honor the loss and the pain and the heartbreak that an injury will cause you. Because to just deny it is to just stuff those feelings. And that never turns out to be good. But the key is that, yeah, feel it, process it, but then don't become a victim to it. And actually be proactive and figure out, okay, how can I pivot? What can I do? What are my goals now? and then be proactive in that sense. That creates momentum. It's very easy to be a victim because that takes us off the hook of responsibility. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Uh, it, all of this talk right now makes me think of this, this one concept that I teach when I give drum lessons. A lot of people ask about like independence, right? How do you develop independence and creativity with your limbs and dominance and all that stuff? And um, you know, I basically say pretend that you only have one limb at a time or a combination of, of such limbs at a time. And what could you do if you had to play a full drum set just with one limb or two limbs or whatever it was, right? But, you know, this is kind of occurring to me right now, and it's interesting, and I don't know if anybody really ever has, I'm sure someone has done this, but I don't know if anybody does this, you know, on a regular basis. But, like, what if, you know, for some portion of your year every year, 
you know, you got a sling and a pair of crutches and you practiced only being able to get around on your left leg. You know, it's not real. You don't necessarily need it. But like, why not get ready while you are able in case something like that happens? Now, maybe that's a little bit, for lack of a better word, doomsday-ish, like, oh, it's going to happen to me. But I don't know. It's just, again, it's a, it's a somewhat playful idea that I'm having of like, force yourself to be in, in an uncomfortable situation before you're there so that if you do get there, it's not as scary, it's not as demoralizing, it's not as tragic, and you kind of have practice. Uh, it, again, it's extreme, but it's just a thought, you know? I was at one of your clinics, I think it was a common thread clinic, um, at the Musicians Institute in Los Angeles mm. three years ago. No, maybe longer than four years ago, five years ago. And I remember that resonated with me that it was very interesting. You were saying if you are right-handed and you shoot pool right-handed and you brush your hair and brush your teeth right-handed and you eat right-handed, try it all with your left hand so that you can be more ambidextrous, that you can use both as you know, one as well as the other, mm-hmm. the dominant as well as the non-dominant. And I brought that up with a friend of mine who just started taking... Uh, Mike Johnson's course online and said that he was struggling with his non-dominant hand, it was, was his left hand. So when he would go to hit the snare or whatever it was, ghost notes, 16th ghost notes, stuff that you play all the time, he was struggling with it. And I said, hey, uh, instead of eating, you know, I was saying Matt said this in one of the things, and I think that could be very powerful to really start to build up the confidence in your non-dominant hand. Mm-hmm. I thought that was great. That's really cool. Yeah. yeah. It, I mean, it stuck with me from yeah. years ago. Yep. It, it made sense. But you know what else? Everything that you do physically starts in your mind. It starts with your brain and your, your body function, you know, up here. And it's always productive and beneficial if you're down for the count to still exercise your mind and stimulate your mind. Or, for example, if I'm, I'm you know, I'm right-handed, if I hurt my left hand or something, um, or I'm sorry, if I hurt my right hand and I only have my left hand, then I'm forced to send all of the creative energy and the creative messages that I'm, you know, developing in my mind just to that one limb. The more, the more messages I send, the more forceful they are, the more creative they are, the more it sort of, as I call it, unties the knots and it, it, it widens the, the channel so you can send more information at a faster pace, hence making it more dominant, more in control and more even with your other limb. Um, that you can do that in, in, kind of all areas of your life, right? Like if, I don't know, you have one business where, as you said, in a band, you learned about all of these things, but all of a sudden that's gone, right? You take what you learn and then you apply that somewhere else. That's kind of like everything you have up in your head can be sent to right hand, left hand, right foot, left foot. Why not send all of that information to each one separately in different combinations and just become extremely, um, I mean, yes, ambidextrous physically, but capable of using the things that you use to develop or do develop with certain parts of your mind or body in all sorts of areas, right? So that way, nothing is ever a failure. Nothing is ever over unless you want it to be, right? Unless you truly want something to be over. But every experience compounds on the next one and you learn from everything you're doing so you can apply it to everything else you're doing. That's how I think. That's how you think. I know there's a lot of people like that. And that was like the biggest lesson my grandfather ever, you know, gave me was there's no such thing as failure at all. Yes, you're going to fall down, but you get up and you get up with more cool shit in your backpack and more tools to use and you keep going. And that's the whole point of all of it. 
And that's why we shouldn't want to live forever because there is a deadline. And in that, you know, between now and that deadline, it's kind of like, how many fucking things can I learn? How many things can I push myself to do? Right. We watched that thing of Gene Simmons earlier, you know, talking about like, okay, you're an Olympic, uh, Olympic winning gold medalist. And you're the fastest guy in the world and everybody in public knows it. But are you the kind of person that when no cameras are on you, no lights are on you, it's 6 a.m. and you're the only one awake in your neighborhood, are you going to try to beat yourself? And that's kind of what I think we need to do, and that's why it's good to have a deadline for our lives. You know? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Go back to your, your doomsday prepping in case you were to lose the ability of, of a limb or an eye, something of that nature, right? This morning I saw Ido Portal posted from his movement camp. And this is just people who are trying to be the best movers they can be. And they're using various studies from dance fighting capoeira to um, different martial arts, breakdancing, et cetera. One of the tools that they were working on was a, a perception through striking, boxing-related, where they, were, they put a patch over... It was t- you, you, were, you had a partner, and each person had a patch over one of their eyes. So then you had to be hyper-focused and vigilant on all that you could get from the one eye. And if you close one eye, you lose so much of your, of your sense of depth and perception and, and what would be on that side in a peripheral view. And so if you really do, I mean, why not? People could try this stuff. You could say, I'm going to do everything today with uh, my left hand that's the non-dominant or my right hand that's the non-dominant and, yeah. and just see what happens. If you're bored, why not? Or if you're just curious, go see what happens. And if anything, it can increase your gratitude for what you have right now. Well said. Well said. Yeah. I think that's a good note to end on. Appreciate what you have right now. Yeah, absolutely. Because, and this kind of bookends where we started, nothing's guaranteed. So why not fucking own it and, and have gratitude for that? Do something awesome for yourself today. Tell the people you love you love them. Just enjoy the rest of the day wherever point you are in your life whatever time it is whenever you're listening to this just like be stoked yeah find that balance you know between the stuff that you know you have to do let's all everything that you love and let's all be connected on that let's all be connected on the fact that after this podcast right now we're all going to be pretty fucking stoked that we just had the chance to do this and whatever we're gonna do the rest of our nights it's going to be exactly what i want hell yeah And, and i'll speak for you guys saying that if you're listening or watching right now, we have immense gratitude for your attention. Absolutely. Yep. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. All right, guys. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Take it easy.